tired. So tired. Overtired. You're listening to Overtired. I'm Christina Warren here with Brett Terpstra. Brett, how are you? I am. I'm good. I'm good. My my like like uh, cycle of like uh, having a manic episode a week seems to be. I think I'm in the clear. I think I'm good. How are you? Okay, so we're gonna do Christina's health corner this week. It's about um, time. We never do Christina's health corner. We don't, and yet, yeah. So I take um, an antidepressant called uh, Trintilix, and I take. I'm supposed to take a dose like at night and, and the reason I take it at night instead of in the morning with my other pills is because like it sometimes can like upset my stomach or, or something. It's just, it's a weird thing. So I, I take it at night. Well, I miscalculated and I ran out of doses and I realized this yesterday at like 10 PM. Um, so I'll, I'll pick up my prescription today, but I didn't take it last night. And as a result, even though the half-life on it isn't super bad, it's not like a Fexor where if you miss a dose, like you immediately feel like withdrawal symptoms, yeah. like instantly, like a, I had really weird dreams and kind of like fitful dreams, meaning that like seven or nine minutes would seem like way longer than it normally is. And this has happened before when I forgot to take a dose for whatever reason. So like really weird dreams, kind of uneven sleep. And I'm just feeling, I'm going to be honest with the listeners and with you, I'm just feeling kind of not completely with it. Yeah. I'm yeah. on, I'm on, um, a, not a bill if I, uh, Lamictal is like, I get withdrawal from that. It's a mood stabilizer. And if I miss a dose of that, uh, not only do I get all like skin crawly and like this weird physical anxious feeling, uh, I also get that not quite with it feeling. Yeah, this is yeah, this is weird because it's not like I said, it's not like a, a normal sort of withdrawal feeling. I mean, like it is a withdrawal of sorts, but it's not like a normal sort of that. Like it, it, I don't have the the skin crawly. I don't have like the. Uh, feeling like I'm going insane kind of thing like I do with um, like if I miss like an effects dose or something um, effects is really bad. Um, if, if you miss like the half-life on that is so short that it's bad. Um, yeah. I once had to um, an ex-boyfriend in college once contacted me because his new girlfriend, I guess had been staying with him and um like left her pills like at her house. And I guess like she lived in like South Carolina or something. <laughs> and she was like going crazy because she was off her meds and was like withdrawing like crazy. So he like reached out to me because he was freaking out. So she like came over and, and she was like, can I like, you know, I had to like find out her dose. And I was like, how many pills do you need? And she was like, I just need one. I was like, no, how many do you actually need? <laughs> because it was one of those things where like our breakup was not great. And it was still one of those things where I was like, yeah, I don't want to wish this on anyone. So for his sake and her sake, I was like, here, I will, I will give you a couple of pills. Um, so it's not like that, but I am like totally kind of all over the place. And yeah, the, the sleep thing is like the weirdest part because, um, a, it like took me forever to go to sleep. And then once I finally did, I was just in like these really like 
fitful, but like intense kind of REM cycles where my alarm would go off and, you know, I'd hit the snooze and like, I'd have like nine minutes of seemingly actual sleep, but like I'd have dreams and stuff, which yeah. I almost never have in that period of time. Uh, and then like, you know, waking up and just being like feeling just disoriented. So that's, that's, that's me. Um, also I was just then talking about sleep. So that's maybe a good segue for some stuff you want to talk about too early, too early. Okay. Too early. Sponsor reads have to come between 30 and 70% marks in this show. And unless oh. this is going to be a really short show, how are you feeling? <laughs> I'm feeling, uh, no, no, it's, it's not there. Okay. So, all right. So see, this is, this is showing how bad, like I am at, like, I was trying to do the whole, um, it was a valiant effort. Thing. I'm sorry. I was trying, but yeah, so I'm feeling weird to be totally honest. But I, other than that, like my health corner is okay, I guess. Um, Grant's been having some major health issues, but this is not Grant's health corner. This is Christina and Brett's health corner. So, so here's my, my drug slash sleep thing. I, I used to take, uh, I think they're called Z class, like Lunesta, um, sleeping meds. And, uh, what's the one that, uh, like politicians always get in trouble for Ambien. Ambien. I used to take both of, not at the same time, but I've been on both of those and I, uh, I, it affected my memory to the extent that like I would forget things within five minutes. And as soon as I stopped taking those, like I could, I could think again, but I couldn't sleep. So they put me on trazodone. Mm -hmm. Uh, and then there was something else that I was on, but anyway, long story short, I can no longer sleep without drugs. Fortunately, one of the, uh, bipolar medications that I take is called, um, it's a weird saffris and no one, no one seems to have ever heard of it, but it's this. Yeah, one, I was gonna say I've never heard about that one. You like it dissolves under your tongue. You put these little oh, white those, yeah. wafers under your tongue, and it dissolves, mm -hmm. and it will knock you out. So I don't have to take any other sleep meds now. But if I run out of those, there's no way I'm sleeping that night. It's like you described with just like the fitful in and out, half half asleep, half awake. It it sucks. Yeah, no, that's unfortunate. Although I'm glad like you have something that can get you to sleep. Yeah, I've um I used to take NyQuil until I kind <laughs> of like uh and my doctors even used to like recommend it and then I kind of like became immune to NyQuil. Yeah. Which was unfortunate. Um Grant used to take Ambien and when he was on Ambien, he would have you know, like some people do the things where they have like sleepwalking and sleep eating and whatnot. He would have a thing where he would just like buy really weird stuff. <laughs> totally. You go into this like weird blackout mode that can involve hallucinations and you you're super lucid and you feel like you're making all the right decisions uh but you absolutely aren't hmm. so i i get that i've been there my uh my ex-wife used to take ambien as well and uh yeah we had some very interesting conversations post taking an ambien <sighs> Yeah. 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 No, I, I, I've never really taken it, I think, for that reason, because I was always like, yeah, I, I don't know about that. Because, yeah, because Grant would have a thing where, yeah, I remember one time he got he, he bought like a bunch of like G4 arrow, G3 arrow, really like um, Mac towers. <laughs> a bunch, and, huh? <laughs> like, like three of them. Like while like, the, while they were popular or like while they were no, current? No, like this was archival. No, this was like. 
no, this was like in 2009. Okay. <laughs> but they're in my parents' basement now. Wow. And it's, it's like, like they were like the, the sawtooth era ones. Yeah. And, um, and one of them was like the, the, the G3 that had, um, like the iMac colored kind of, uh, um, front, which was similar to the sawtooth design, but just like it was, it was the aquamarine color rather than the, yeah. uh, darker blue. I remember it. The Bondi that, color. That yeah, was like exactly. The, that was the first Mac I actually worked on. I had that at my, uh, my first job out of college. It was, uh, amazing. A G3, I think, but it was it that was. aquamarine. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. They were nice machines. So he bought like a couple of those. I think at one point he also had like, got like a 19 inch monitor, which CRT, which we got rid of that when we moved because that was dumb even then. And, and it was like, this was when nobody wanted a CRT, but I think that it was one of those deals where like he had to get the CRT in order to uh, get the computer. And then he got like some sort of like weird terminal, um, I guess, emulator like uh, things like, like a weird, I guess like terminal systems that had really bizarre um input methods like input mechanisms that you couldn't even use with anything else so it wasn't even like a vt or whatever like it was just it was something bizarre that like i think in his mind he thought he could do something with it and he couldn't and um and for years he tried to defend that purchase <laughs> and then he finally like came and was like no that was like there was there was that was the most bizarre weirdest like dumbest thing like, thank you. It, it only took you like five years to come to terms with that. Uh, I mean, not, not that I cared, you know, or whatever, but it was just one of those like funny things. I think he might've bought a spark box. That sounds familiar. Some... I can't remember what a spark box is. Those were those sun boxes that were like shaped like pizza boxes. Oh, like that's yeah. what they were often known. They like the, like the, the, the sun, like pizza boxes, like the, the big, you know, kind of like server things that, um, before Linux was what everyone used was like what, nerds i guess in the in the mid 90s all lusted after right because it was like it's unix but i can i can <laughs> have it on my desk wait wait what was that line from i think it was jurassic park yeah you're, this yeah, is yeah, unix yeah. i know this yes 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 which is such a classic line uh and which you know like it obviously became a meme um within like five years, you know, or whatever, like amongst nerds, maybe even earlier, I became aware of it with, within five years and like knew the context. But, you know, that, that movie came out in 93 and that actress was probably like 12 years old. Like the fact that they would write that in there, I wonder if that was a like requirement for them being able to use all of that, like, you know, risk stuff that they were doing for like the, the SGI stuff that they were doing for the graphics that they had to, you know, like name check Unix. I don't know. <laughs> Cause it's such a weird choice. Be like, it's Unix. I know this. It's like, okay. I, I know that they like established, I believe that she was some sort of like very technical, like computer thing, which in retrospect, like I appreciate that it was the, the, the girl child that had that skill and not the, the little boy, but how progressive totally. But it's also like, it's 1993. The only people who have access to Unix are like academics or very, very, very rich, you know, people. Um, if, if you're not working in like a, a day job on something like this, it's not something where like I could imagine you would come home and you'd be like, yeah, we just have a Unix box at home. Like I, that, that's literally the whole reason we have Linux. 1994. 
for the guitarist in my band, his older brother got a um what was it? What 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 was Steve Jobs doing when he left Apple? Next. Next. He got a next box mm-hmm. that uh he I don't remember what uh the base OS of Next OS was, but it was Next OS. Yeah, that makes sense. That makes perfect sense. But he had hacked it to as like a Linux box and it was fun, but I I I got my uh, Linux chops uh, or Unix chops by logging into the mainframe back when they were called mainframes at the local college, and uh, like you could it was Gopher was how I got into it, but yeah. then I had to learn my way around a command line, and I had my own little tilde. Uh, I think my username was Ali Smith. I don't remember why. But like mm-hmm. Tilda Ali Smith and you had your like your personal web page and everything at that. These were good memories. Yeah. It was why I first built a Linux machine was because I had so much fun learning Unix on the mainframe, the AS400. I think that's what it was. That's a machine, right? An AS400? Yeah, I think so. Yeah. It's all, it's all distant memories. There was a lot of heroin between then and now. Yeah, I, no, yeah. that's that, that that's so funny. Well, I, well, it's funny you mentioned you mentioned like Gopher because I remember having to get onto my sister's like she went to the University of Georgia, and I remember having to use like a Gopher client, or it m- maybe it was like something called like Kermit or something. I'm trying to remember now. That sounds right. That was um, oh, Kermit was a protocol. Okay. Okay. Uh, Kermit was a modem protocol. Oh, okay. All right. Well, I remember using Gopher and Kermit to have to get on uh because we had like a, a laptop we didn't have our, our desktop then we had like a, a laptop and i bought an external modem for it because i was that child sure and um this is when i was like 12 and uh 11 or 12 and i i um because it might have been even before she started college that we first had to do it i don't remember and having to like do that to get on the course catalog so that she could register for classes yeah I remember that. I also remember, I mean, it was, it's it's funny because, um, she didn't go to college with a, with a computer and it wasn't because she couldn't have, I mean, we didn't have a lot of money then, but you know, we, my parents would have figured something out. It wasn't because like, you know, uh, she couldn't have or whatever. It was just, it wasn't a requirement. So she, you know, didn't have a computer at college. She like, would go to the labs. And, and then eventually when we got our, our Pentium 90, uh, which was like my first real, real computer that I was obsessed with. And it, you know, helps pay for and all kinds of other things that really kind of kickstarted me into computing. Um, because I, I, at this point I'd already read and was like pseudo expert, at least in theory about how you know, computers worked and used and was sure, a, sure. A, 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 like a de facto sysadmin in the Mac lab, uh, yeah, yeah. at school. But like, um, she would like come home and, and use that, uh, or, or more correctly, like she'd come home and like, I would, you know, do stuff, um, for her. But yeah, but it's so funny to think about, like, I always think about that. Like for me, there was no question, like you had to have a computer, like to go away at college, like 
yeah. you know, like, like wasn't even a thing. Like I, and it, to me, like I actually got a really, really nice computer for Christmas when I was, um, uh, 15 or 16. And like two years later, when I went away to college, I got, um, an even nicer, you know, computer that, that I like took with me and, and that I paid for part of at this point I worked at Best Buy. And I, um, so I, I did like, I, I could have taken the computer, that I got a couple years earlier with me, but I, I didn't, I was like, nah, I'm going to get like, you know, brand new thing or whatever. And, and I made friends with people the first week in the dorms because a lot of people didn't have ethernet cap, um, uh, cards in their computers because they bought cheap, like e-machines yeah, yeah. and then realized that they couldn't get on the networks and didn't know how to install a PCI card. So I just like went to Best Buy and bought like a whole stack of them and then <laughs> would just kind of go like dorm to dorm and install people's PCIe cards like it's no people for a price so, no you doing this for free yeah oh that's crazy I know I know I mean I made them pay for the card but uh it was like the first week of school you know you're trying to get to know people I did charge for HBO when we got HBO <laughs> because um and and wound up making money um so because how it worked is that we got basic cable for free but if you wanted to get HBO or any other channels, like I had to call Comcast and I had to like get a package specifically added on to my unit. And it was not an easy process because like the way that our dorms worked is they were like, uh, they were like apartments. And so it was not an easy process for me to call them and figure out a way for me to just, you know, upgrade that part of the package because the rest of it was, was paid for and only to be billed for the HBO and Showtime. Um, and, and then pay for the cable boxes, uh, that, that would, you know, offer the stuff. So like I had one in my room and then one in the, the living room. And then, um, we would have like group watch parties for sex in the city and the Sopranos and queer as folk and stuff. And so people would come over and would watch and I would like say, Hey, can you chip in some money for the cable bill? And, and I, I didn't make a lot of money or anything, but I did make a little bit of money off of that. When so. I was. When I was in college, I lived in this, uh, I guess you could call it a punk house. It was, it was mostly junkies, but not entirely junkies. But we, uh, we pulled the cable. We, we tapped into the neighbor's cable line, ran it up the utility pole, mm -hmm. across, down the other utility pole, and into our house. And then it was, I, I don't remember how exactly it worked, but basically premium channels were just filtered yep and yep, you, exactly how it worked if you unfiltered it you got mm -hmm. everything right either scrambled they were called scramblers yeah yep yeah and we managed we had like full cable totally free those are good times by the way you're right kermit is a computer file transfer management reading from wikipedia protocol and a set of communication software tools primarily used in the early years of personal computing in the 1980s. Wow. Old school. Old school. So, so UGA was like really, really backwards <laughs> then because I remember that, but I also remember using gopher or whatever. I remember just, I just remember having to set up the IRQ settings and trying to get connected because it was not an easy process. I mean, I I've lost so much of this to time because it's been 25 oh, years, I know. but like but all these I, words sound familiar, but I, yeah. Right. Yeah. It's, it's, it's been 25 years, but I, I just remember being like 11 or 12 and like being like, all right, all right, how am I going to, all right, get, get this to work, get the course catalog up, get the other stuff. And then, you know, I've got like my older sister who's impatient and kind of bitchy and, and thinking that she knows everything. And 
I'm like, okay, well then you do it. And then she has no idea what she's doing. And then she's like, you know, yelling. And my mom is, is high strung and freaking out. I'm just, we have to get this done. And I'm like, well, then fucking leave me alone. You know, like, 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 let me, let me, you know, follow the instructions and figure out how to do this. Like we didn't have Wikipedia and we didn't have, I mean, we had like a 14, four modem. So, you know, it was hardly, um, I wonder yeah. if there are still Gopher servers. It used to be this wealth of what w you would call like underground information. I mean, bomb making materials, uh -huh. like the anarchist cookbook. Like you used oh, to, be yeah. able to find everything. Oh, we basically, used to spread that around on floppy disks <laughs> in, in middle school. Homegrown terrorism. But yeah, I wonder if that stuff's still out there. Um, I did actually find the the anarchist cookbook, and uh, a couple years ago. I think I was going to write a story about it. And then I didn't because it, it turns out like if you find it, like there might be some stuff in there that's, I mean, look, to be very clear, like it is total homegrown terrorism sort of shit or whatever, but like most of the stuff would not work. And most of it is just completely Well, there was a nonsense. recipe for an H-bomb in there that I'm 90% sure wouldn't work. There was a disc bomb. I remember there was a floppy disc bomb. <laughs> and uh, the, the, the idea was that it would destroy the hard drive in your computer or whatever. Uh -huh. And I remember... In seventh grade, some of my friends, I didn't actively participate, but I didn't actively not participate, right? That's, that's what I'm going to say. Like, I didn't actively try to build, like, the, the disc bomb, but I didn't actively not. Like, I was definitely watching. Like, the <laughs> idea was basically you just, like, open open it up, pour acetone on some of the things um, and, and replace a couple of the other things with some match, so some, like, um, basically replace the inside with um, matches and, um, like, match powder and um, acetone, and then the idea was that the reed heads would create friction, which would, you know, uh, spark the the match powder and and you know combust with mm -hmm. the acetone and and then burn the insides. It did not do any of that. Like, <laughs> and, really, and when you it's really just creative storytelling. One hundred percent, one hundred percent. But yeah, but we were all so excited, and then like nothing happened. It was one of those things. It was like. You know, because because even then components were strong enough that it's like you would need a whole lot more like friction or whatever to do anything, assuming you even were able to spread stuff correctly. I, I don't even I don't even think that it would be theoretically possible for it to do what it was doing. But it was creative storytelling. And, you know, when you're like 12, like that's what you kind of think about as being like you hear about something like the anarchist cookbook and you're like, oh, yeah, this is this is bad. And, and this is, you know, I, I'm, I'm being so subversive and I'm mm -hmm. so, you know, whatever it's, it's like, it's like a telling dead baby jokes or listening to Marilyn Manson. It's just one of those things that you do when you're like that age Oh my god! because it feels, yeah. Nice segue. Right. Um, <laughs> for anyone, for anyone looking, I am linking a PDF with every page of the anarchist cookbook scanned. It's available on docs.google.com. It's fun. <laughs> um, yeah, so there's there's this news that really shouldn't be surprising to anyone uh, that Marilyn Manson is being accused by multiple women of uh, abuse. Mm -hmm. And it's pretty terrible. Yeah, like I've always had a, a kind of a skeptical appreciation for some of his music, like his his right. later his stuff more recently. I've actually really enjoyed uh third day of a seven day binge or whatever that song was he, he like the soundtrack from uh john wick like i i like that stuff it was cool but like he's always been creepy and i've never really appreciated the shock value of his kind of his persona right 
So this isn't, yeah, I'm not shocked. No, no, I'm not shocked. And Evan Rachel Wood, who's one of the, the people who's like publicly finally named him, we all knew that it was him because she testified in, in front of Congress, I think it was a couple of years ago, and it went viral again last year. Um, I'm not, I don't really remember why, but her testimony went viral again. And it's really powerful where she talks about how she'd basically been groomed as a teenager by someone who was twice her age and who, uh, you know, she describes the abuse and it's pretty horrific. Um, I, I'm not going to get into what some of the specific allegations are because we don't need people to, to know that or like, look at, you know, like if you want to do that to yourself, look into it, but it's pretty, it's pretty terrible. But based on the descriptions and everything, based on the fact that we all watched them together, which was weird as hell, right? Like mm -hmm. he's literally was twice her age. I think they got together when she was still married. He was still married, I think, to to Dita Von Treese. And he got together with Evan Rachel Wood. I don't even think she was 18 yet, honestly, when they started dating. She, and she, then, she was 19. He was 38. Well, that's what they're saying. I'm saying I think if you actually look oh, into when the, they were the first. The public record. Yes. Right. I think if you look into some of the other things, I think it might have been earlier because Dita Von Treese talked about how like part of the reason they got divorced was that she didn't like that there was this other girl around. And, and that she was just supposed to accept that. And like, if you do that math, like maybe there was another girl, but it, it, it seems unlikely. Um, but also the weird thing was, is that like her whole look changed. Like she dyed her hair black. She started dressing like Dita, uh, Dita Von Trees. Like she was very clearly like from the outside, it was one of those things where, cause she was, you know, a, a child star in retrospect, I actually think the way the media treated her, and this was not that long ago, and this is really a little more than a decade ago, was kind of fucked up because it was kind of like almost a, a making fun of thing. Like, oh, he's people were basically calling out, like, look at how creepy this is, is basically what the headline was, right? Like, that was basically what like the gossip media, like celebrity media kind of angle was, which was, oh, yeah, it's it's very clear that like he's, you know, making all of his girlfriends look a certain way and, and that, you know, he has some sort of control over them. And, and isn't this weird that this guy is twice her age, but nobody bothered to really kind of be critical of it to be like, wait a minute, what is, what is a guy like this doing with this young girl? Like, why are we just turning this into like fodder when really we should all be deeply concerned and freaked out yeah. that, you know, like he's clearly manipulating her and, and doing some other stuff. And so She'd already been public about the fact that she'd been abused, but she named him this week. And um, other people came forward too. CAA dropped him. His record label dropped him. Um, he has been cut from episodes of some star show. He's cut from a future episode of, uh, I think, like one of the Ryan Murphy shows, like uh, American Horror Story or whatever. Think that something else he did for something else has been cut. Like basically, he is he's being swiftly canceled, and I'm not opposed to that, but I do kind of wonder like why did it take this long? Because again, we all knew like she didn't name his name, but we all knew it was him when she talked about this like two years ago, and people have said over the years some stuff about him. Like he and he said weird stuff about her. Like he talked about how he like fantasized about like smashing her in the head with a sledgehammer and stuff right and people just kind of rolled their eyes and, oh that just just that oh that crazy Marilyn that crazy Brian he's just being performatively weird you know yeah it's like at a certain point you know that performative shtick 
I don't know. Like it was the sort of thing that was edgy and, and felt risque and taboo to me as like a 13 year old. And then as an adult, like a a quarter century later, when the person is still doing the same shtick, you're just like, okay, this, this no longer has like, why are people still buying into this? Like this isn't even like, I I don't know. The labels have a lot of responsibility in this. Uh, As long as the labels continue promoting and continue putting out the music, even when they know better, people are, it's easy to, it's easy to sweep that stuff under the rug because you assume, oh, he's got a new album out. If he was really a bad person. Right the record labels wouldn't be supporting him. And especially like these days, it I, I, there's a certain, as long as someone has commercial viability, it's easy to uh, oh, yeah. ignore. Oh, and that's always what it comes down to, right? Like to be clear, his, his record label, those shows, his agency, and I would say that his agency probably in his case probably has more culpability than even the record label because it's not like music is sure, sure. what makes people money now or whatever, right? he's making more thing on continuing to be on TV shows and sell that persona. But it's like, as soon as they see that you're not financially viable, then they'll drop you. Um, as, as, as soon as it becomes too toxic for them to support, but as long as they feel like they can still make money out of it, like we've seen with every case of, of abuse or me too, or anything that's come out, basically people will be protected until it is like too toxic for them to, to not support. Right. But like, as, as, as long as there's that monochrome of like kind of hope, Oh, we can still make money off of this. There's some sort of financial viability here. Then it doesn't matter, which, um, is like a deeply cynical and kind of fucked up thing. Um, it, but it's weird though. Like with, with him, actually, this is really f- fucked up. Like you say, like we shouldn't be surprised and we shouldn't be, uh, although it doesn't change the fact that it's horrible, like what people have gone through. And the fact that they've like been clearly trying to tell us for years, like the, the Evan Rachel Wood thing like bothers me because she was so young. And like I said, the media response was basically one of just kind of like pointing and gawking rather than being like, what the hell? Like, yeah. you know what I mean? Like, and, and, and not to at all compare the situations cause they're not the same and it's, it's different, but it's kind of like the way that like Scott Disick, who I'm sure you don't know who that is. I don't. Uh, he is Courtney Kardashian's ex-boyfriend and the father of her three children. So he's okay. part of the Kardashian clan, but he's like my age, right? He's like 37 and he keeps dating like 19 year old girls. And he was with Sophia Ritchie, who's Lionel Ritchie's youngest daughter for a couple of years after he and Courtney broke up and they got together when she was like 19 and like they would go on family vacations together and stuff. And it was weird because like she you know, is again, like half his age. And, and again, like in that case, the definitely the media response has been more like, this is gross, but it's also been more like, kind of like this, just kind of like pointing and staring thing. And to be clear, like, because they, those people always have cameras with them and he, I don't think has ever exhibited behavior or had any sort of allegations against him or anything. Like it's not the same thing. And, and I'm not trying to say that people who aren't legally adults don't have the right to be in relationships with whoever they want to be. Cause of course they do, but it does just kind of make me like question like why, like we just kind of like point and stare when, you know, like the normal person response when you see those sorts of things is usually like, okay, is everything okay? I mean, I think that's a fair question to ask and maybe things are, but like rather than just like treating it like an entertainment thing, you know, um, 
but anyway, but in 2011, Marilyn Manson, I, cause I looked into this last night weirdly, he did a coffee table book for one of his albums with fucking Shia LaBeouf. Hmm. Who is also like, uh, has been accused of, um, oh, really? severe abuse. Uh-huh. Oh um, no. And, I was oh, just, yeah. I was just really enjoying peanut butter Falcon. That sucks. I didn't yeah, know no, about this. Okay. Yeah. F FKA twigs like is suing him. Jesus. Like okay. over abuse stuff. Yeah. Like, and, and, um, other people have come forward too. And, and he has done the, he's, he's, he's decided to go the route of basically like admitting that he's a drug addict and alcoholic and all these things and has major issues, but has denied some of the other claims. And I'm like, so he's like, all right, well, some of what you say is true, but not all of it. Uh, which to me is anyway. Um, so the fact that, that he and Marilyn Manson created like a coffee table book together, yeah. It's kind of fitting. That's it's fucked up. It Here, is fucked up. Here's the thing so. about a half your age. Um, until you're 60, that's a horrible idea because people under 30 are rarely tolerable. Like, hmm. I can't imagine having a healthy relationship uh, as someone over 40 with anyone. Like, if I, I've, I can't remember a 21 year old I've met and thought, you know, I could spend a lot of time with this person. Right. You're just in totally different phases of your life. <laughs> yeah. Like anytime I'm, you see anytime you see a 38-year-old with a 19-year-old, you you know something's wrong. That's 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 never that's never the sign of someone who is truly uh invested in the uh the younger person. I just don't think that's possible. I mean like I said, I think that there, there could be exceptions to everything, but I think in, in general, you're correct. I mean, I, I think like, and I have, you know, friends who are younger and, and people who, you know, I, I enjoy being around maybe not like 21, but, um, although I am kind of mentoring someone who's a, a friend of mine's daughter, who's, who's 21 and, and, or 22, I guess. And I enjoy her very much, but yeah, it's a different sort of thing. Right. Like, and, and like, I, I consider her, you know, we're, we're friends, but it's also a, a slightly different relationship, even like five or six years ago when I did have like interns who were like 10 years younger than me. Um, I didn't really feel a disconnect other than maybe like our professional statuses with them. But at the same time, you know, it, was, it wasn't like I wanted to date any of them. Right. Yeah. Like I just, yeah, I, I just feel like you're, you're in different, you're in different places in your life. I will, um, I will admit there was uh, a couple years ago when I was still going to bars there was an evening after a couple beers that I had a very intelligent, very um, in, uh, stimulating conversation with a 21-year-old girl, and she was also clearly hitting on me. Uh, mm -hmm. She was not attractive, but she was intellectually so interesting that I stuck with the conversation for probably an hour, which is crazy for me. So yeah, I shouldn't I shouldn't generalize and say that all 21-year-olds are intolerable. That's not true. No. Uh, just yeah. Okay. No, so and I I I, I would <laughs> just, enough, just though. Yeah, no. I well, I mean, I think it's just a different life experience. I wouldn't even say if they're intolerable. It's just you don't like you don't know what you don't know. I mean, it's one of those things like I only like at least for me, it's only come with time where I've kind of realized I've looked back on those times in my life cuz uh, you know, uh I was like a very mature like um, like a high schooler. And then I felt like I regressed when I was in college because I actually acted my age, but I still was frequently around people older than me 
And it's only been like, as I've actually gotten older that I've realized, oh yeah, I didn't, I didn't have any of the perspective or know any of the sure. stuff. Well, you know, I, thought the I, problem I thought I is, did at the time. Right. That's the I, thing. That's what makes it intolerable is so many 21 year olds think they have, think they're worldly, think they have the experience, think they have the understanding right. that anyone 40 and up or, you know, even, you know, 30 and up can be like, no, you have a lot to learn. And right. to, that's, that's, that's what grates on me, I guess, with most of those yeah. conversations. Yeah, no, totally. And, uh, but, but I think there are plenty of people who, especially, you know, with the age of the internet and whatnot, we can really smart intellectual conversations. So yeah, it's just that worldview stuff. It's just, you don't know. And like I said, there are always exceptions. I don't want to make total generalizations, but it, it is, I don't know, for me, like the, the Marilyn Manson thing with the creepy thing was like, he literally like her look changed, like she dyed her hair. She wore different makeup. She wore different types of clothing. Like she became a clone of his ex-wife. Sure. And it was it was a very clearly like orchestrated thing by him, right? Like it didn't seem to be of her own volition at all. It's just like one day she shows up with him, and then she's looking like, you know, this clone of of his ex-wife, who's also like close to twice her age. Like it just wasn't okay. Um, we're going to have to have a real awkward segue in a second, but I, I was just going to say, <laughs> I, I read his, I read his book or I read like part of his book. So he wrote like an autobiography or like co-wrote one or whatever. Like, I don't remember when I, maybe it was like 98 or 99. I don't know. I read it in 2001 or part of it in 2001. And I, um, like I haven't read this book in, in 20 years and I still remembered all the details of the first chapter like perfectly because it was so disturbing. Like the first sentence was like something like hell was my grandfather's cellar or whatever. And, you know, I, I actually, ironic. it's hilarious because I didn't know we were going to be talking about this today. I ironically like read part of it last night and I like re-reminded myself and like I, 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 had all like almost all the memories of, of that first chapter. And it was really disturbing. I look back at it now and I'm like, this was so clearly performative and so clearly designed, like whether it was true or not, it was so clearly designed to like coincide with like his persona, which when it was published, it was before the Columbine stuff. And, um, you know, and, and it was, you know, when, when he'd achieved like, you know, MTV fame and, and things like that and gotten kind of mainstream when it was very clear, it was like, he's cultivating like this, this creepy thing because that's the brand. And, and so it, 20 years later, I can look at that and I can know that. But at the time I just remember being just like, so grossed out just be like, this is what the fuck, dude, you, you know, you ready for an amazing segue. I am. That kind of stuff can make you lose sleep. Ha. <laughs> Yes, but, but and I know we talk about our failure to sleep a lot on this show, but on nights when my brain lets me and it's not populated with nightmarish uh, stories from uh, shocking personalities, <laughs> I've been sleeping super well on my Helix mattress. That's that was excellent. that was pretty good, right? That's actually 100 percent great. So I, I took Helix's uh, two-minute quiz, and they matched my body type and my sleep preferences to the midnight mattress. And I, what I love is that they're not one-size-fits-all. Uh, they have the perfect mattress for everyone, and they make it easy to find it. Uh, they have soft, medium, and firm mattresses, mattresses that are great for cooling you down if you sleep hot, and even a Helix Plus mattress for plus-size folks. 
Uh, my midnight mattress is a medium firmness and ideal for sleeping on my side. And after a few months of sleeping on it, I can say for sure they got that right. Um, my previous mattress was another one that comes in a box, but it was a bit too soft for me. And I had to add gel cooling toppers to it just to stop Ew. sweating. Yeah, it got it. Yeah, a lot of tossing and turning. Uh, my Helix mattress, though, stays cool all night. No tossing and turning and no sweaty dreams. Um, Helix is awesome, but you don't need to take my word for it. Helix was awarded the number one best overall mattress pick of 2020 by GQ and Wired Magazine. So if you want to sleep better and be less overtired, <laughs> clever, right? But a bump. Take the quiz, order the mattress that you're matched to, and it will come right to your door shipped for free. And you can totally skip going to the mattress store. Just go to helixsleep.com slash overtired. Take their two-minute quiz, and they'll match you to a customized mattress that will give you the best sleep of your life. They have a 10-year warranty, and you get to try it out for 100 nights risk-free. They'll even pick it up for you if you don't love it. So if you use our link, Helix is offering overtired listeners up to $200 off all mattress orders and two free pillows. I didn't even get two free pillows, so that's amazing. Just go to helixsleep.com slash overtired. I swear you won't regret it. That's excellent. We went from Marilyn Manson to Helix Mattress, and I feel like we did it in a very uh, respectful way that didn't denigrate Helix. I, I think no, we, I, do. I think we pulled it off. I, I think we do. I think we did. Now, if we'd made like a a, a sweet dreams are made, you know, oh, sweet God, dreams are made of these oh, like no. reference. If we if we'd done that, then I think we wouldn't have pulled it off. Nope. That, oh my God, that would be awful. Okay. So I'm sorry. So yeah, that, that didn't happen. That didn't happen. <laughs> no, exactly. That didn't happen. So I think that that was very respectful and good. Um, have you been following this GameStop stuff? Um, I, I have, uh, I, I have actually finally come to understand what shorting is like, Excellent. finally, I, I got a, a, an explanation of it that made perfect sense. So now I understand what kind of shenanigans uh, the hedge funds were pulling and how easily, it, how, how fake the idea of money is and how easily they were defeated. Well, I mean, I think that, I don't know if I would say money is fake. Oh, uh, money is a concept. It's a construct. There's, I, I agree with that, but, 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 it, but it's still real in the sense that people put an inherent value in it. Like exactly. it's obviously a construct, but, but yeah, I mean, it, we haven't been backed by gold and you know, like decades, like in neither one of our, even lifetimes. then gold's only worth what value you assign. Well, of it. course it is. I mean, well, that's the whole point. But I mean, that literally goes back to like the beginning of time. Like we've always had some sort of currency, like, like uh, there's always been some sort of system of bartering stuff. I mean, like it, 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 just something that people have created. Like when we assign value to stuff, you know, and, um, uh, sometimes it's tangible and sometimes it's not, but, um, I also wouldn't say that I don't, I think this was easy. I think this was one of those one-off things that I don't expect to see again, where you have like a bunch of, you know, self-described degenerates like banding together to buy stock that is. Why don't you think it would worthless. happen again? Because I don't think, I think that this was one of those perfect storm things where you were able to get enough people together. I think that a, 
if you make it like if you do it too common, it is straight up market manipulation and is straight up an SEC violation, like period. Um, I don't think that the, that the Redditors are heroes at all. Like I'm not feeling bad for the hedge funders. I'm just, I'm, I'm, I fuck them. I, I feel bad for all the people who have, who bought in at $300 a share or $200 a share and have lost everything because they will never recover any of that money ever. Wait, okay. Um, explain that part to me. Who, who, who lost out besides the hedge fund? Every single like normal person who bought in when it was over, it is currently $92 a share which is up $2 from when it closed. It closed at 90 yesterday. It is so, but it, that it was yesterday. It was down 60% from its open. And that was, you know, it, it was down like a further 30% from like, um, you know, the, the previous week. So it is, it is lost, um, like, like 70% of its value of its, of its high. So if you bought the stock, if you Brett, took your $10,000 that you have, like your life savings, your you, you MGO, your 401k, you did whatever, and you invested $10,000 and you bought it when it was $300 a share, hoping that it would go to a thousand or go to the moon and you'd be able to make a nice profit. When people started selling because maybe they bought in lower, maybe they got freaked out because at this point, it's not just regular retail investors. It's regular, like it's actual, and it's not just hedge funds, but it's actual, like, you know, uh, regular institutional investors who are investing in it too it's, it's to make you know uh, bids and trades when you want to sell if you're a retail investor your trades go last you are lowest of the totem pole mm. which means that when they execute the trades and that's always how it's worked why this is this is one of the reasons why robin hood can have zero dollar trades and in these companies that we all hear about democratizing finance which is bullshit i frankly think that there probably should be a little bit of a barrier to entry i realize that's unpopular but the reason I say that is, is because if this is what's going to happen. So you put your $10,000 in, you buy it at $300 a share. It is now $90 a share. So if you have now lost two thirds of your investment, it is never going to be $300 a share because it's not, the company is not worth that. The company no. doesn't have the assets worth that. So you've lost at bare minimum, you've lost $7,500. Okay. So, or, or, or whatever. So, or, or, $6,600, whatever the case may be. So you've, you've lost two thirds of your investment period. It's more than likely going to continue to fall. We don't know when, but it's going to continue to fall. So the people that are losing money are the people who were part of that run up to get it to that, that all time high price, because they were consumed by the meme. They were consumed by the idea of, Oh yeah, we're taking on the shorts, which I'm not a fan of some of the policies around shorting and I've, I've argued kind of against them. I think there should be certain regulations. Like I don't think you should be able to short more shares than exist, but I will concede that shorting is, is part of like a healthy market requirement. Like you need to have that, that push and pull. Um, you don't have to feel good about it, but it is one of those things that is like a, a natural part of, of any sort of economic system. So the people I feel bad for are the people who are posting their losses and they call it loss porn, who some of them have lost everything. Some of them are okay with it. Some of them I guarantee you are not. Sure. And, and that's, that's what I'm mad at. Like Melvin capital, no one gave a shit about Melvin capital. That's a small potatoes hedge fund. They were worth like $3 billion. It's nothing um, in, in hedge funds terms, uh, but it's not like I, I realized. Yeah. You, no, it's like, just ridiculous to hear. I, I agree, but it's genuinely nothing. They got a loan, which we don't know the terms of, but the, I'm sure that the terms were very advantageous to, 
you know, the, the actual real like institutional, like mega, you know, giant corp hedge fund that loaned the money. Um, they got a loan, they got out of their position. They, they say that they exited and they took a loss and now they're going to have to make up their, their gains in other ways. And, and, you know, they, they probably wiped out their losses for the year and, and, and they're hurting, but it's, they will live to trade another day, right? The people who won't are the regular people who have now potentially lost their life savings. Like yeah. that, that's what bothers me. Yeah, so that makes sense. So, so, so that's where I, that's, that's where I kind of get like bothered by it because the stock is not worth what it's worth. The company like, and at this point you now have this weird thing where like you see the people who are on those boards who are encouraging everybody to hold almost like it's a religious sort of thing because they're like, we can hold longer than they can. I'm like, okay, you don't realize the people who had the, the super heavy short interest that you were against most of those people have already left. And if there's new short interest, that's new people who have decided to, to look at it and be like, yeah, you know what? I still think that this is a shit company. I think that this is insane. And I'm still making a bet that it will be, it will not close, you know, above this price on this date. Um, right. So I don't know. I mean, I feel like it was a really good, it was like a really clever thing that happened. I don't know if we'll ever see it happen again in this way, but I just, I am deeply concerned for the regular people who didn't do it for the lulls. Cause like the 8 million people who were in that subreddit aren't all doing it for the lulls. Plenty of them are doing it because they want to make money and we're thinking this is a sure thing investment. And they're, they're seeing this, this stock go up and up and up and like, yeah, I'm, I'm going to throw my money in. And it's like, you just straight up gambled and flushed your money down the toilet. Couldn't they like, just sell high though? Like, who? Well, who you can try. The problem with that is, is that when you sell, especially if you have a large position, that's going to lower the price every time. Now, the smaller retail investors could have gotten out, and some of them might have. The problem though is, is like I said, your trades go last. Mm. So if you got in on Thursday and you bought like a position. Um, or, or I guess maybe Wednesday, because because Robinhood I think um, uh, shut stuff down or, or was deeply limiting how many shares people could buy on Thursday, and they were doing this to protect their own risk. It sure. wasn't because they were protecting the hedge funds; is because they legally have to show a certain amount of solvency if people um, lose. Like they have to to be able to have that money on hand, like so that, that they don't fail. So if you got in on Wednesday last week and you know, you got in low enough and, um, like, like, but even then, like, I think it was over $200 a share on, on Wednesday. So let's say you got in like a week ago and you got in at like $70 a share. Yeah. When it hit, you know, $300, you could execute a sell order and you might've been able to get out. Now it might've sold at 300, but it might've sold at like 295 or 290. You know, it, it varies depending on, on when they could execute that trade for you. But the longer that it goes on, the further behind you are everybody else. So, you know, it's not one of those things like where you can just time it perfectly. And I mean, this, this is where high frequency trading comes into place because they have algorithms. And this is how most people are making shitloads of like professional investors are making shitloads of money. Now it's all computers. They're all, they're figuring out, they're watching every micro percentage timing and they're trying to make the times on their trades exactly to you know, benefit, you know, on, 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 you know, within like fractions of a second 
you know, to, to be able to, uh, to, to buy and sell, to get the most advantageous timings, but it's not just that easy. It's like, okay, because if it hit, you know, $400, no matter how much plenty of people are saying on, on Reddit, oh, I'm going to hold, go to the moon, go to the moon. It's like, no, plenty of people are going to look at that and be like, oh no, I want out. Yeah. And, and so then you have a whole rush of orders and that have to, that have to get, um, fulfilled. And like I said, retail investors, and this is how I'm not saying it's fair. I'm just saying this is reality, like are always last always. So there were people who won though, right? There were people who benefited from this. Yeah. I mean, sure. Just like any Ponzi scheme, like there are, (laughs) but I'm serious. Like there are all the whole reason that, that, that those things work. And I'm not saying this is a Ponzi. I'm saying that it has a lot of the same qualities of a Ponzi scheme. And what I mean by that is that for a Ponzi scheme to work, you have to have real winners. That's why people buy into it, right? Because there are actual real winners. Um, Bernie Madoff was a Ponzi scheme, but he made it look like it was an actual hedge fund, an investment fund. Like that was his kind of gift, right? Like, but those people up until the bottom fell out, people were making real money. And I'm sure that there were plenty, not plenty, but I'm sure that there were a number of clients of Bernie Madoff's who at some point decided to just take their money out and go elsewhere and be like, you know what? I profited enough. I don't need this. Um, but the majority of the people were just like trusted him and were like, you know, we've had these returns. We've, we've, we've done well on this and didn't realize that, you know, leaving their money that he was a criminal and, and that, that, you know, his, his books were cooked, but yeah, so there are some people who have made real money off of this, but that's, that's a, a much smaller percentage. Like, than all the people who are holding the bag when it's gonna eventually probably I don't know where how how long it'll take, but you know, it'll probably settle at like sixteen dollars or or ten dollars or whatever. Um which again, if you bought it at two hundred dollars The scheme's originator, whose Reddit username is unprintable in a family paper claims yeah. to have turned an initial investment of $50,000 into a windfall of more than $40 million. So there's yes, a winner. Is, well, yeah, except he's, he didn't sell the whole thing, So or he claims, which sure, would be sure. so fucking stupid. He claims he still held it. So he lost like $6.7 million yesterday. He lost like $3.7 million the day before. So like that windfall, I think, is down to like $10 million now. $50,000 to $10 million is still a fucking win. I agree with you, but... <laughs> But like, and, and he's an actual, like he was really, really smart and he, he's figured out a way to, to do, you know, to, to gain the system. And he started buying it in 2019. Like he's also, he's a, a financial advisor. Like he's, he's not just like some sure. schmo, right. Sure. Uh, which, which is also part of the narrative, which is like that, like the uneducated masses are, are, are sticking it to like, you know, the, the, the so-called professionals. It's like, no, actually like somebody who knows how this stuff works saw a loophole in the system and then was able to galvanize um, a group of people into, you know, position. Um, smart guy. Like, I'm, I'm not saying that. What I think is dumb, like, I, if I'm him, there'd be no way that I would continue holding once it was, like, approaching $400 a share or over $400 a share. I would sell my whole position. Yeah. Because $50,000 of his initial investment, that that's not that many shares, right? Like, that's that's not enough to to cause like an immediate kind of sell off thing. Um, there'd been there was a South Korean hedge fund who owned like six percent of GameStop, and and they weren't shorting it. They just they bought it when is when it was cheap. They sold their whole position last week, and they cited like the market volatility, but they sold on Friday. 
So they made billions, um, which, so, you know, it's great. That this one guy made like $10 million or however much it's going to come out for whenever he sells. And I hope that he sells before it, you know, like completely implodes uh, for his sake. But also this is like the fucked up thing. Like I'm not trying to be a down on anybody, but like the, the people who I'm looking at who actually really won is that South Korean hedge fund who sure. had 6% of the company and made billions on their investment. How do you know all this stuff? Oh, I studied finance in college. Why? Was that a major? It was. Well, it then became a minor, but yeah. Wow, I didn't know that. Yeah, I thought that I wanted to do finance as a career, and then I realized that I didn't have the stomach for it. Huh. That's I, I've learned something new about you. This didn't even come up on our, our systematic I know, on, on, on systematic. I know, I know. Well, it's so rare that I ever get to talk about this stuff. Um, like... So last week I've, I've been thinking a lot more heavily about stuff. And to be clear, like I'm not an expert. I'm not anybody's financial you know, advisor, my own <laughs> finances and, and, and investments are, are not great. Um, I did almost buy into Dogecoin last week at the height <laughs> of the insanity. Um, in the clear light of day, I didn't, and I was glad I didn't, but like, it was one of those things where I was like, there'd be no way I would invest in anything in GameStop. But when the Dogecoin stuff started going up, it was one of those things where I thought I might be able to time it right. If because you had a little bit of Ambien. Oh, totally. 100%. <laughs> I would have lost like $2,000 because that was the, the maximum I was willing to put into, into any of that. I, I, didn't, I didn't do it, though. And I'm glad I didn't. Um, uh, ironically, though, the reason I didn't was because I couldn't get on any of the exchanges to buy the stuff and like the, the, the few like exchanges that work in the U S that would like let you directly buy Doge with, with, with USD, um, were like completely like almost DDoSed because so many people were trying to get into, to, to buy Doge and Robinhood like takes a week to approve your money and your accounts and all that stuff. And so it was one of those things where I was just like, um, I wasn't able to get in on it that night and I'm glad I didn't because it was already high. See what had happened is it, it, it had gone up some enormous percent and I was like, okay, if it went up even like another, like, like 20%, um, I, I could make a couple hundred dollars if, if I was able to time it right. Um, clearly I, I wasn't, I didn't get in on it, which is good. Um, I'm really glad about that, but it, and, it, and that was just a, a purely like greed, like the market is insane. People are, are people have lost their minds. I'm going to jump on the, the crazy train too, sort of thing. Yeah. And then, um, the system ironically saved me because of all the different loopholes you have to go through to, uh, or hoops you have to jump through rather to, to do that stuff. It, it made it impossible to do. Cause the only way I would have been able to buy Doge easier would, would have been like, I would have had to buy some Bitcoin um, <laughs> at an inflated price, because if you want to get it like instantly, then you have to pay like more or whatever. And then I would have had to convert that Bitcoin to Doge. And it was one of those things that was like my margin, my potential margin of profit would have been so minuscule anyway, that I, 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 I was, my fear was, I was like, I'll lose it on whatever the, the Bitcoin conversion is from, you know, whatever my over the counter Bitcoin price would be. So, um, I, I didn't get in on Doge, which again, good. Um, but yeah, I'm just concerned. Like I'm happy for like 
some of the again they they self describe themselves as like degenerates who who've made money on this like good for them. I'm really concerned with all the normal people who are going to be holding the bag when this very fucked company ultimately crashes back to earth. This we we hit on a topic that you can speak as deeply on as you can about like 90210. I know. I didn't realize that I, your depth it never ceases to amaze me. You're sweet. <laughs> this stuff makes my head spin and I find it almost as interesting as I find 90210, which is to say Right. I I no, just you, No, you I'm not I'm not saying okay. what you're saying is boring. You're actually making it interesting, but finance in general? Oh uh, yeah. Like I my brain just shuts off when whenever my own finances or any finance stuff oh, yeah. comes up. Oh no, it can be de- it can be like ridiculously boring. I think honestly, like my whole like draw into it was often like the weird narratives, like uh, uh and the drama around stuff. Like right, <laughs> that makes like sense. Uh, totally. Like I think that was really kind of like the appeal to me. And then I learned about it. I was like, oh, this is this is all numbers and there's a lot of math and this is a lot of like timing and, and it's kind of a game because it is a game and it's kind of like a, a high stakes video game. Um, and, uh, but, but then I kind of realized like, as I went through and I, after I'd taken many classes, I was like, yeah, I don't, I don't think the, I don't think this is for, uh, I don't think this is for me. We, uh, we, we went, uh, we have this, this topic on our list. We're going to talk about it next week. We it has been moving from week to week for like six episodes now. I know, I know, but I have like a new thing. I have I got like a bigger device that I want to talk about okay. that I have that I have on loan that I have on um on loan for review. So next week I will we'll talk about it. It'll be at the top of our list next week. We won't talk 100%. about anything until we talk about that. No, that sounds really good. Okay. Well, that was that was a roller coaster episode that you pulled off despite lack of medication. Oh, I appreciate that. I appreciate that. Um, uh, weird, overtired, but I think a good one. I I feel I feel like it it fits if it's the mold. I think so. Not like classic, not like retro, overtired. But this is this is just what we are now. Honestly, um, no Taylor Swift, but that's okay. Yeah, I'm okay with it. She she she's in a television commercial with her car with a closet full of cardigans. Yeah. And I I barely understand the reference. She has a song called Cardigan. Yeah. And I, yeah. I just I, I didn't know. Does it run deeper than that? Does she actually no. have a deep abiding love of the cardigan sweater? No. Okay. I think I think that was just capital. I think that capital one wanted to run an ad with her. My mother in law did get me that cardigan for my birthday though, which was really <laughs> sweet. You know what commercials are pissing me off? What's that? Um, I can't even remember. It's an insurance company. Uh, of course it is. Geico. Those are the only commercials. Geico, Geico. Ads. Right. Those are the only commercials on TV. But Geico is making a, a whole our, our marketing campaign out of bad puns. And if I had known there was like money to be had making bad puns, I would have gone into advertising. But right? it, it's upsetting. It's just upsetting. It's also upsetting because Geico has had so many good ads over the years. Yeah. Well, there are a lot of insurance commercials that I enjoy. The flow commercials are getting, uh, they're played out and this whole yep. new team they brought in, I'm not loving. Uh, it, it's all cell phones and insurance though. Oh, and med- there's a lot of drug ads. Oh yeah. Which are mostly and- entertaining for the side effects portion, but. And pillows. Pillows. 
You get pillow ads? No, no. I was making a joke about the my pillow guy. Okay. Okay. It, it yeah. I'll let it go. <laughs> well, Christina, I hope you get your meds filled. Thank you, thank you, and um, I uh, get some sleep, Brett. Hope, hope you have a continue to have a good week. I will hopefully get some good sleep. On, on a Helix mattress? No, that's me. No, that's you. You're gonna get your great night's sleep on a Helix mattress. I'm gonna be be jealous from from my non-Helix mattress. Get some sleep, Christina. Get some sleep, Brett. The system is going down now.